Good morning. We're in this study on First and Second Peter. It's way too loud, the, the microphone. And we're discovering from this uh, series from Peter that it's kind of like having on our keyboard the word encourage and discourage. As a spiritually anointed apostle and now a shepherd uh, to the church, Lord's church, Peter's living in Rome. He now takes the time as he hears about this group that now lives in modern-day Turkey, a group that's scattered, a group that's suffering, and he takes the time to write them to encourage them because they're going through some very discouraging times. As we've seen, though this letter was written in the first century, here we are 2,000 years later, and the themes that we see through Peter, they are so relevant for our culture and for America today. We've seen that already in the first couple of lessons in this series. And uh, particularly today, our topic on this permanent inheritance we have in heaven and how God's going to promise to give that to us is particularly relevant for us today. Uh, we've just gone through a series from Romans 8 where I spent quite a bit of time talking about our inheritance in Christ and how we accessed it and how we obtained it. And I'm not going to cover that again today. Uh, this week and next, I'm going to uh, take the approach that Peter takes. And Peter takes more the approach of offering proofs. How do, how do I know there's a heaven? How do I know that there's judgment in hell? How do I know I have this eternal inheritance that's so valuable? When you read the letters of 1 and 2 Peter, it is quite clear. There's no ambiguity in Peter's thoughts that heaven is real and hell is real. So I can't cover both this week. Uh, so this week I want to talk about heaven being real and that valuable internal, eternal inheritance we have. And then next week I want to talk about the judgment, the proofs that there's also a judgment as well for those who refuse to believe. As you'll notice on the screen on 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-5, through 5, the next slide, you'll notice that I have the word value, and this will be on many of the slides that we're looking at today, and I'm doing this intentionally, obviously. I want us to think about that word value as we go through this uh, lesson this morning. First of all, the value that we have as this inheritance that God has given us because of this living hope that we have in Christ Jesus. But secondly... How much do you think God values you? Are you really of any significance or worth or value to God? Well, if he gives us an inheritance, then certainly we must be of some value. You don't leave something in your will to someone you don't like, you know. Uh, you leave your greatest goods to those of whom you have value. And so this, he provides us an inheritance. So what does it mean as we look at today that God values us? And what I'm going to show you today is that there is nowhere else on earth that you can find real value and significant as a human being except in God. Everything else is despair and hopeless. So let's read this verse, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope, which we talked about last week, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in tune, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
So I want to talk to you about, notice this word inheritance is used twice in uh, these verses. I want to talk to you about this inheritance from God from two points today. First of all, how do I know this is true? What proof do I have that there's life after death, that there is heaven, that there is eternal inheritance? And second, how do I know it's permanent? How do I know this just isn't Peter trying to uh, make people suffering the first century feel good about what they're going through and offer them some sort of hope? A week or so, uh, Sharon's sister Shirley was staying with us for a couple of weeks, and we had a really good time. That's part of our summer vacation. And Shirley had recently been watching the TV series called Proof. You'll see the slide, the next slide, Proof. And how many of you have probably heard of this, or I had not heard about it up to this point? And she thought the premise was pretty interesting. So we sat down to watch it with her, and basically the premise is this, a billionaire who's dying of cancer is trying to find proof that there's life after death. And so he hires this doctor, this doctor who just recently lost her own son, to examine all the stories that are coming in from people to his research foundation to see and to prove whether or not there is life after death. So she's to study reincarnation, near-death experiences, visions, etc., and gather up any proof that there is any life after death. Uh, maybe the first or second commercial into it, I said, you know, we could save that producer and this TV series a lot of time and just say, read the Bible. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, if I said that in some circles today, I'd be laughed at. Or I wouldn't be laughed at. They just kind of thought, oh, pity me. Oh, you poor pitiful thing. You, you naive, simplistic person. Isn't that kind of sad? Our culture that is doing everything it can to find if there's proof of life after death. We'll look at anecdotal experiences, anecdotal experiences from children and from adults and from all walks of life to try to prove something that the Bible through Revelation tells us that there is. It's very clear that there's life after death. Uh, we are looking at this more and more and seeing this to be the case. And we know this to be real, that there's a real heaven with an inheritance based upon what the Bible tells us about God. I do not base my faith upon a child writing a book about their experiences after near death. Uh, when adults give these stories about what happened to them after died, they're interesting to me. But my faith is not built upon that. It does not strengthen my faith or weaken my faith. They're just kind of interesting stories to me. They may be real. They may not be real. We build our faith upon what the word of God says. The word of God is very clear. That there is proof all around us to observe that the reason we know we have eternal life and eternal inheritance because, first of all, we have a maker of the universe. Psalm 8, verse 1, Lord, our Lord. Notice that verse. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Next slide. You have set your glory in the heavens. Have you ever looked at Pluto? This past week and seen the beauty of the moon in Pluto that was there. We see that and it was some three billion miles away. Took nine and a half years to get there. And, and, and we see that. And God has set his glory in the heavens. And see the beauty of that. 
I marvel at that because I realized that when I looked at that so much this week, all of it was about was how incredible we are as humans in our technology and these feats that we've accomplished. Look at what we were able to do to get a ship close enough after nine and a half years to go three billion miles to take a picture of a planet that's, or this Pluto with this moon that's just a very small speck in our universe. Aren't we significant? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? It is a great accomplishment. But this maker of the universe who made this is just a small speck in the vast galaxies that are there, the magnitude that is there. And just what comes to us, uh, I think of Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. In this universe is the maker of the universe. His design, his purpose is that every one of us study the universe and will be led to the rational conclusion that God created all this. God revealed this to us. Just look at the heavens. Look at the skies as they proclaim the work of his hands. In Hebrews 11 verse 3, by faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And in Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So if I go back to Psalm 8, 3, when I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you've set in place, I think about this God who's created everything. It makes it so clear, so, so much proof that there is a maker of the universe, the one who set everything into place. It's not an accident, but it's a deliberate setting forth his glory into place so that anyone at any time in any generation, when they look up and see the universe and study it, they say, there is a God. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, who with his fingers makes the universe. He didn't use the entire heavenly host He didn't use the might of his arms, his legs, his entire being. He created this vast universe with his fingers. It's a finger painting. A finger painting that God has done here. And by his word and command, he creates this wonderful universe. So God is an artist, which means to me, an artist always reveals through their work a portion of their heart, what they're thinking. So I look at this universe, I see the beauty, I see the love, I see the form, the expression, the the humor, the colors, and I see the heart of God in all this. And this universe is not only artwork, but it's also music. Don't you love the one in Isaiah where it says, uh, you'll go forth in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth in song before you and all the trees will clap their hands. All the trees will clap their hands. You will go forth in joy and be brought forth in peace. My creation, I can hear it singing to me. I, I, I see the art, the artist of God. He, so it speaks to me. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes forth out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. What God says is, I've set my glory 
as the maker of the universe so everyone can see, can hear, can see. Know my heart, my beauty, my love, my expression, my form, my redemption, my creative power. What proof do I have that there's an eternal, valuable inheritance waiting for me in heaven? The proof is that there's a maker in this universe who created the universe to point out his glory. And if you look at the way God wants you to look at it, his design and purpose, you'll hear it and you'll see it. And you'll say, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Now, we live in a time, it's a very brief point of history in time, just a couple of hundred years, where brilliant scientists and modern thinkers of our time deny the existence of a maker of the universe. Most of us are familiar with Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking is considered to be the standard bearer, considered to be one of the most advanced astrophysicists of our time. He's also a great denier in the existence of God. He's written books about it, many, many articles, and speaks about it quite often. He pokes fun in supposing to believe that there's a power of God who brought this into existence. On many occasions, he said that it's nothing more than a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. Our brilliant scientists in this short period of time in history deny that there's a maker, a designer of the universe. Hawking is not the only one, but the standard bearer of our time, which you're going to find in major fields of study. In the origins of the universe... If you want to get published, if you want to get a job, if you want to have tenure, you're going to have to deny the existence of God in public institutions to get an advancement. You're going to have to deny that this universe was made by God. That's where we are. There's a popular TV series that was recreated this past year called, called Cosmos. I've watched it. Very beautiful. Lots of things in there. Very interesting to learn from. Um, it was produced by Seth MacFarlane who does Family Guy and American Dad, who's an avowed atheist since 11 years old, and deliberately set forth to make it again from Carl Sagan's original one with Dr. Tyson, who's also an atheist. And although there's interesting stuff about there, there is so much in there that denies the very existence of God as the maker of the universe. Dr. Tyson himself, when interviewed on many occasions, is asked if he believes in God. He says, there is no maker of the universe, very emphatically. Dr. Tyson says, when you talk about God and majesty and magnitude and awe and reverence and fear, that's the way I look at the universe. I see the majesty of the universe. I see the magnitude of the universe. I am in awe of it and absolutely fear the day when the universe is going to kill and destroy every one of us, annihilate everything. So a real proof that there is a God in heaven uh, filled with an eternal inheritance, has been effectively dismissed by the intellectuals of our age of reason and modern and postmodern times. So much so, try to find the mention of a creator God in your textbooks of your public education for your children. Certainly our Christian teachers in their classrooms will bring up the subject when they can, but it's very difficult when their own textbooks and presentations that are prepared and videos are prepared for their children make no mention of a creator God. So generation after generation has been indoctrinated to look at the universe and marvel at this accident that just happened and to think about the genius of humanity as we have discovered this on our own. However, you're not like the rest of people. You are a Christian. 
And you don't have a worldly point of view. We're like Peter. We look up and say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have an eternal inheritance of great value for us. I know that this inheritance is waiting for me because there's a maker of the universe, but also there's a second proof. There is a maker of human beings called God. We're not an accident. We did not just arrive here accidentally or somehow or another a bunch of things from this earth randomly got together and created this thing called a human. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible reveals to us, by God. Psalm 8, 3 through 4, go back again. Uh, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So right in this context, God, you have created the sun and the moon and the stars, all these things. Right in the context of all this, David says, but who are we? What proof do we have that there's a God and an inheritance? This God who set the moon and the stars in place has reserved for you an eternal inheritance that's kept for you in heaven. That's the proof. Look at the existence of humans and how they're made. Three questions there, right? What does it mean to be human? Do humans really have value and significance? Does God even care about humans on this planet? (laughs) This is what it means to be human, the maker of this vast and glorious universe made us humans. The way he set the moon and stars in place, he set us into this glorious universe into his glorious plan. We are created in his image. We are redeemed by his son. And we are to live eternally with him in this inheritance that he's given us. When David saw the glory set above the heavens and saw the vastness of the glory of God, he thought, what am I? Why would you be mindful of us in this vast universe? And when David saw then the magnitude of what God had done, he said, What is a human that you would even care for us? Do you really care for us? Satan has attacked the very notion that humans are proof that there is a God. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say it again. Satan has attacked the very notion that humans are a proof that there is a God. During this age of reason, which I'll mention again, it's just been a very brief period of time in our history. Humanity's worth and significance has been moved from being the crown of God's glory to being built upon a foundation of despair and hopelessness. The belief that there is no maker of the man or the origins of man and woman has led to despair and has led to the worth and significance of people being deluded. Let me give you an example. You're going to get so depressed over the next two and a half minutes, I'm going to bring you back. Get ready. Say, I already am. Good, get worse. This is worser and worser. (laughs) The philosopher Bertrand Russell, well-known philosopher, standard barrier for philosophy of this day, wrote the book, Worship, a Free Man's Worship. Man is the product of causes that have no prevision of the end they were achieving. His origins, his hopes, his loves, his beliefs are but the outcome of Adam's. All the labors of the ages... All the devotion, inspiration, and brightness of human genius are destined to the extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Only in these truths, only in the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation be safely built. 
build. This is philosophy. What does philosophy teach us? It teaches us there is no God. There is no foundation. The origins of humanity is not from God. It's just a bunch of atoms that got together. There's no such thing as love or beliefs or hopes. It's just an accidental outcome. And you need to build the foundation of your life upon that despair. I told you it's going to get depressing. Well, what about biology, bioethics? Let's look at John Gray and bioethics. We're not particularly special. Human life has no more meaning than that of a slime mold. This is a well-known standard bearer of bioethics. Man is only one of many species and are not obviously worth preserving. We cannot claim science as a source of truth because we now know, thanks to Darwin, that the human mind serves evolutionary success and not truth. Bioethics, you're nothing more than a mold. Cockroach and you are on the same level. Cockroach may be higher than you because you're just part of mold, all right? Despair, my philosophy, the meaning of life. My biology, how I'm put together, is not particularly glorified or dignified. What about psychology? Stephen Pinker from Harvard University who teaches there now. The stupidity of dignity is his title. And what he says there in his, there's no such thing as nobility, honor, heroism, love, and truth. These are carried down to us by generation to generation by our ancestors who desire to survive away from those who are trying to kill them. In order to survive, they had to believe that they were worth more than the things that were trying to kill them. To overcome humans, to overcome humans began to speak what was about what was noble and dignified and honorable and sacrificial, heroic, loving, and truthful. And those have been passed down from generation to generation. They now become part of our biological wiring. But there is no such thing. The stupidity of dignity. It's stupid to think that humans have dignity, he writes. It's a waste of time to involve oneself in self-esteem, self-worth, or for that matter, to help any other human on this planet because our existence is only about our survival. So in philosophy, I'm told I have no value or significance. You with me? Biology, I'm told I have no more worth than mold. And in psychology, I'm told, you need to develop a good self-esteem, but really there's no such thing as self-esteem. Then we come to the field of philanthropy. This is, whoa. In philanthropy, philanthropy, billions of heirs who give their money away. Do you know that the basic root principle behind that is every one of these billionaires do not believe that there's a God, and so therefore we have to help each other because there's no God who cares. People like John D. Rockefeller, avowed, staunch atheist. What about Andrew Carnegie, gospel of wealth, avowed, proud atheist? Warren Buffett, a quiet atheist of our time who has no regard for religion or for God. One of the wealthiest people in our country. Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook since age 13, is a dedicated atheist, dedicates his life to get people to deny the existence of God, uses every technology possible. He said that. 
Well, let's not just pick on Facebook. Let's pick on Google. Larry Page, the founder of Google, an avowed atheist who's also involved in giving his money away at the end. Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, atheist through and through, giving his money away at the end because he does not believe there's a God or the origins of man come from God that we have to help each other. And then Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, atheist, atheist, influential, wealthy, philanthropy, helping humans into the future because there's no God who cares. Just imagine for just a couple of those men would open their eyes and no longer be blinded by the devil. They would see a God who's a maker of the universe, who cares, who loves, who's concerned, and what God could use and how he could use them in a powerful way. In our time in America, we're spending billions and billions of dollars upon technology to ingrain and indoctrinate millions of our children to not be able to see that there is a God of creation of the universe or a God who makes us as humans. And yet, sociologists, psychologists, philosophers of this postmodern time, and get a clue, when something's called post, it means the first one didn't work. So modern times didn't work. Now we're in postmodern times, and they're trying to change that. Sociologists, psychologists, philosophers of our postmodern time are grieving as to how we can help people in our times who are so filled with despair and gloom and fear of the future of being annihilated. They don't believe in God. They don't want you to believe in God. And yet they're not sure how to bring significance and glory and dignity to man because when they think rationally, they don't think we have any more right to exist on this planet than mold. I think it's time we as Christians step forward, folks. We need to step forward with the good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ. We have the proof. It's all around us. Open your eyes. There's a maker of the universe. There's a maker of humans, but it's also on the inside of us. But uh, Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 3, the words of Solomon, he has made everything beautiful in its time. This is not a world of chaos and a world of disaster. It's a beautiful world. If you open your eyes and see God, he set eternity in our hearts. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the very beginning. And the interesting thing to me is that God wants us to know that through our kids and our grandkids, we learn the truth about him. Go back to Acts, uh, Psalm 8, verse 2. From the lips of children and infants, you've ordained praise because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. God from day one set forth his glory so that in little children, the children would praise God as maker of the universe and the maker of people. The verse prior to this said, Lord, Lord, you're majestic in your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. And here we find in Psalm 8, 2, from the lips of children and infants, you've ordained praise because of your enemies to silent the foe and the avenger. God made the sun. God made the trees. God made the mountains. And God made me. You know that song, don't you? What a beautiful song. God made the sun. God made the trees. God made 
the mountains, and God made me. Beautiful, simple, truthful message to teach to our children. They need to be taught this because the public school education is under the control of Satan. And for the rest of their lives, we put them in kindergarten till they go to graduate school. They will be taught that there is no maker of the universe or God. We're all here by accident. And one day this really bad, bad universe is going to destroy every one of us. You talk about a fairy tale. No, God's made everything beautiful in its time. Now this passage about the children, Jesus quotes from in Matthew 21, 14 through 16, and in that particular quote, Jesus says to the enemies there, they're saying, look, you're the blind, the lame are coming to be healed by you, and these children are singing praises to you, and why are you letting them do that? They become indignant, and Jesus says, ah, oh, have you not heard, have you not read that we are to be praised, God is to be praised by the children of this world, by the children of this world. And our church curriculum needs to emphasize this over and over again. You need to be teaching this in your home, and you need to just assume that your kids for hours after hours after hours are being taught there is no maker, there is no maker of the universe, there is no God that we originated from. You need to reiterate this over and over again to your children in the church, in your home, because they're being exposed to the lies in our public institutions. Our children were designed to bring forth that praise. Psalm 8, 4 through 9, we're created in the image of God. There it says we're crowned with glory and honor and rule. We have worth and significance. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians five sixteen. so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. My self-esteem comes from being made in the image of God, created in his image. Worth, dignity, honor, love, heroism, truth, all the great things of being a human come because I'm made in the image of God. It's one of glory, not one of despair. And because I'm made in the image of God, we as Christians should be the most benevolent, caring, compassionate people in this world because we recognize the human dignity and worth and honor of every individual. And we don't despair over it. We glory in the fact of what God has done. So we bear one another's burdens to love our neighbors as ourselves. But not only that, in Psalm 8, 4 through 9, it says, What is human beings that you are not only mindful of them, but that you care for them. Does God care for me? How much does he care for me? He cared for me so much that he sent his son Jesus in the world to redeem me from my sins so I can have eternal life if I would believe in him. It's like Zechariah said it when his mouth was opened again with John the Baptist. He said, praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. God created me in his image. God redeemed me through his son And the entrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ into this universe is a proof that there's a maker of the universe and maker of humans who have a valuable eternal inheritance for all those who belong to him. Let me finish up this one point very quick. Not only the proof, but the permanence. 1 Peter 1, 3-4. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is permanent 
because it's secured by the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power by which he will raise us to walk in newness of life. It's the same power that he uses to secure, notice, our inheritance of this living hope that we have. In 2 Peter 1, he said, you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great verse? That is true. You can depend upon that. That inheritance is going to be there if you put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. It's secured by the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. This inheritance is permanent because it is shielded by the power of God. The maker of the universe who set everything in its place and put his glory above it all has said, I promise you, I will secure this inheritance for you. He is my shield. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He guards my inheritance and what God guards, no one can take away. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of salvation that is being ready to be revealed in the last time. And one more, 2 Peter 3.13. In keeping with this promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I'm going to ask you this morning, I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk, but I hope there's been enough from the Scripture today for you to reject denialism. That's the point of view of our culture that believes that all of us will eventually be devoured and destroyed by this universe. It's the belief that one day we're all going to die and there is nothing beyond the grave. Reject annihilism. I want you to believe this proof, this promise from God. It's, not hope, it's hopeful, it's not wishful thinking in a fairy tale. The God of the heavens, the maker of people, has promised us an eternal life of inheritance to dwell with him. So what do we do with this proof? You're saying, okay, how do I take this home with me? What am I among so many? I mean, you got Stephen Hawking and Tyson and all these intellectuals saying these things. Uh, You're smarter than them if you believe in God. This is not an intellectual, rational thought. You believe in the revelation of God. If you believe God, you're smarter than them. Why would you be ashamed of believing in the maker of the universe? Why would you be ashamed of saying that your origin comes from God? What they're offering has no hope. It's despair. So the first thing you do is know the word of God as the truth. Don't follow cleverly devised myths, as Peter says. Know what the word of God says in Psalm 8 and Psalm 19 and others, that God is the maker of the universe and everything in us. Obey the word of God as truth. Too much today is, will you believe what you want to believe? I'll believe what I want to believe, and we'll all be okay. Come on, get real. You're smarter than that. You have more insight than that. There have been too many things in human errors that have, in ages, that have believed things to be true for centuries, only to find out that they're wrong. Well, give me an example, David. (laughs) Well, for centuries, all the scientists, all the people believed that the whole universe revolved around the earth. Found out that not to be true. I believe it's possible, hopefully likely in our time, that honest people seeking truth will see that we need to take a step back and move forward. What we've been taught to believe about the universe, that there's no God, that there's no maker of the origins of humans, is wrong. And hopefully they will see that to be the truth and see how they've affected generations and led So many people to despair and a hopeless culture in which we live today that they will change. 
I want you, though. I don't know what they're going to do. But I want you to take a step back and look forward. And you'll find the proof that the best way to live and the only way to live better than anyone in this world is to live for God. There are a lot of words in Peter that are very strong words. Be controlled, be self-controlled, be alert, watch out. But the one word that just stuck out in my mind this week as I read this is Peter's word, holy. Be holy. Uh, when we think of holy, we think about being in worship or reading the Bible or singing a song or, or praying to God. But the word holy means to be set apart. Uh, when they built the temple, uh, they would take a cup and they would bring to the temple and that cup would be dedicated just to be used in the temple only. It could be used nowhere else because that cup had been set apart for temple worship, holy. There's nothing about that cup that made it holy other than the fact that it had been chosen to be separate from the rest of the cups in this world. What I want to tell you is that we can be holy in our culture. It's not just coming to worship on a Sunday morning or worshiping, singing, or praying. We can be holy in this culture when we stand up to our culture and say, you know what, you don't believe in a maker, I do. I know you don't believe that the origins of man came from God, but I do. That's being holy. It's being holy. Set apart from God to proudly proclaim this. Parents, teach it to your children. Don't let someone else assume they're teaching this to you in the right way. Teach it to your children. Let them know, yes, there is proof that there's a maker of heaven and of people who's given us a heaven with an eternal inheritance. Let them know that God is in charge. This is not just an accident or randomness. That there is real meaning to life and real hope in Jesus Christ. But everything else, you're right, is despair and hopeless. There is no in-between. If you're holy, though, you're set apart for God. Believe and proclaim him as maker of everything. And you let people know, oh, there's someone who cares about you. His name is God. Cares for you so deeply that he created you in his own image. Cares for you so deeply that he redeemed you by the blood of his son. Cares for you so deeply that when this life is over, it is not over. It's just the beginning of eternal life where he's promised you an eternal, valuable inheritance if you'll keep your faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name. This morning, if you need to respond in any way, be baptized, renew your faith, be restored, find a church home, love to help you. You can come up during the song or meet with me after, after service today, but make the decision today. You know what? This is foundational. I'm going to know this maker, and I'm going to be in his inheritance that he's given me. Won't you make that decision today as together we stand and as we sing?